The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as we read in Ephesians 1, 3. Now it is the preposition in which links that great promise to our present text. It's very difficult to attempt the inventory of the universe. And when it says we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, we have before us a universe. How shall we start to list these spiritual blessings? Where shall we find our categories if we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings? Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled All Spiritual Blessings. Many companies list all of their products in a catalog, but you probably could not afford to buy every item you see. Well, it would be impossible to catalog all the spiritual blessings we have in Christ, and we do not have to pick and choose which ones we would like to have. All spiritual blessings from our Heavenly Father are available for us to enjoy because Jesus Christ has fully paid the price for our redemption. The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, All Spiritual Blessings. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank Thee for Thy grace and favor to our fathers and to ourselves. There is none like unto Thee, and we worship Thee. Wilt Thou be gracious to us in this hour, and use Thy word to Thy glory? Speak to each listening heart, and build us in the knowledge of Thy truth, which makes us free. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We return once more to the sixth chapter of Romans and the third verse, to the great phrase, baptized into Jesus Christ, or identified into Jesus Christ. Now, we have been identified by the work of the Holy Spirit into every phase of the life and the work of Christ, as we have seen into his pre-existence, into his birth, his public manifestation, into his death, burial, and resurrection, into his ascension and enthronement. Now, in that high position, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus as we read in Ephesians 1, 3. When I was in the theological seminary, we had one professor who read from his manuscript with an infinite detail of order and arrangement. His whole text, with heads and subheads, classifications and subclassifications, 
was a masterpiece of interlocking argument. One of our more waggish theologues took the professor off at a dinner party. The student made a rather wild statement, knowingly far from the facts, and someone asked him for his evidence for such a statement. He replied with a twinkle in his eye and with a perfect imitation of our professor's tones, my authority for the remark is under Roman numeral three, section capital F, subsection Arabic one, sub-subsection gamma, sub-sub-subsection gimel, complete with vowel points, most in use in the Masoretic text of Codex Aleph and the Palimpsests. Well, we all laughed at this exaggeration, but let me ask what ramifications of sections and subsections might I fall into if I should attempt to catalogue the blessings which God declares to be all, all spiritual blessings. I remember once a story of the little boy who, instead of singing the hymn, Count your blessings, name them one by one, wanted to sing it, Count your blessings, weigh them ton by ton, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Well, how are you going to count your blessings? How are you going to be able to weigh the infinite, the measureless, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace? It's clearly impossible to treat the subject properly, since it is the theme of our whole lifetime and the glory of eternity is bound up in it. Thus we sing wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall my praise begin? Well, we may begin with the cross of Jesus Christ. Immediately someone objects, but the cross of Christ is not in heaven. Yes, it is. Oh, not the literal wood. Not the literal wood, which some followers have multiplied from many varieties of tree as a fetish, but rather the value of that sacrificial death is in the heavens. That is why we read in Hebrews 9, 23, that the heavenly things themselves had to be purified with better sacrifices than these of the object lessons slain on the altar of tabernacle and temple. Our assurance of salvation is in the heavens. How do I know, how do I know that I am most surely saved and never can be lost? The answer is that it is because I am able to look away through the word of God and see my surety, my guarantee in the heavens. The leper, when he was to be cleansed, brought two doves to the priest. The one was killed and its blood was caught in a bowl. The other was dipped alive into the crimson tide and then released into the sky. If someone had challenged the former leper as to his right to walk among men without the cringing cry, unclean, unclean. He would have had every right to reply, see yonder flash of scarlet, winging against the white of the cloud and the blue of the dome above. There flies my guarantee. There is my surety. That's why Wesley would have us sing, arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in thy behalf appears. Before the throne my shorty stands, my name is written on his hands. Now it would be possible to continue with this category of spiritual blessings, which might be called positional blessings. But there is another category of blessings which bring us right down to earth. These are the blessings of the graces of the Christian life. You will never have them apart from heaven. Oh, you may get a little of their mist and spray, but to be drenched in them, to be plunged in them until you are dyed in their hues, you must make the journey to heaven. And you can do that 
here and now when you understand how the subject has been set before us in the Word of God. If you are to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, you must get them in heaven. Well, wait a minute, says a Bible student. Are you not mistaken? These are the fruit of the Spirit. I admit that they are, as one cluster on the stem, the fruit of the Spirit. But I ask a question. Where did the Holy Spirit pluck that cluster which we are to receive from his hand? I shall show you that he got it in heaven. And further, did he go to heaven and pluck it and bring it down to us here and begin feeding it to us while we were far from heaven? Not he. For it is the Holy Spirit who has brought us to that mountain where we first saw the promised land of present heaven. It was he, the Holy Spirit, who took us by the hand and led us into the heavenly places. It was he who was a wall of fire about us that we might pass unscathed through the territory held by the enemy. In fact, the scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit himself is the first of the blessings which is given to us from the heavenly places. At Pentecost, Peter linked the discussion of the power which came with the work of the Holy Spirit on that day with the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he hath shed forth this, which we now see and hear. So, when our Lord went up, the first blessing came down, and it was the Holy Spirit who is both blessing and the blesser for our further blessings. This is interesting in the light of the fact that one of the most famous of the controversies in the early church was over the question of whether or not the Holy Spirit came from the Father alone or from both the Father and the Son. In fact, the Eastern and the Western churches split over the question of the procession of the Holy Spirit. We, of course, hold with that which I believe is absolutely biblical and which came at the time of the split between the East and the West. We followed the Western church and believe that the Holy Spirit came from both the Father and the Son. And when the Lord Jesus Christ gave us the Holy Spirit, he came to us even though he is the blesser, not as the source of the blessings, but as their channel. The blessings do not originate in him, we are told. For when he comes, he does not speak of himself. Our Lord said, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. We read in John 16, 14. So it is out of the treasure round the throne where Christ is seated in glory that the Holy Spirit takes all the blessings which are ours in the heavenly places and ministers them to our hearts. We have spoken of positional blessings and the blessing of the graces. May I point out that there are also the blessings of life and duty and service. Now, someone may think that these blessings are earthly. Too often, they are. True labor and duty and service for God are heavenly blessings to be obtained only in heaven. When work is done for its effect in the world, even for its effect upon souls, it is out of the primary purpose for which God intended it. For at this point, we come to the statement that God's purpose in choosing us before the foundation of the world, God's purpose in making us accepted in the beloved, God's purpose in making us the fullness of him that filleth all in all, is first 
that we should be to the praise of his glory. And secondly, that we might be the means whereby he gives to Satan a mouthful of dust. Both of these things are to be accomplished in heaven, in the highest heaven, the far above heaven. We are to be to the praise of his glory. In the lower heaven, we are to be manifest to Satan's hosts, the manifold wisdom of God. We shall take the two aspects together for the purpose of God in choosing us and taking us to heaven now is visible from above and gives praise to his glory and is felt below in the embarrassment and discomfiture of the enemy. In order to understand this, we must go back a moment and sketch a frame for this picture. When God first created Lucifer, it was to step into the position of prophet, priest, and king under God, that he might be the mouthpiece for God's orders, channel for the universal worship of the creatures, and instrument of God's government. Lucifer was so wonderful that he wanted to speak in his own name. He wanted to take worship to himself. He wanted to rule in his own right. He said in Isaiah 14, 14, I will ascend, I will exalt myself. I will be like the Most High. The hosts of all the angels split vertically, some of every rank following Lucifer, so that he has in his train like an army with privates, corporals, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, majors, colonels, and generals. He has demons, fallen angels, principalities, powers, seraphs, cherubs, himself of the order of the cherubs, top of the heap. Now, since he had aspired to be like God, he was given a first problem to demonstrate to the universe the utter worthlessness of any will which opposes the will of God. The earth was touched in judgment and made without form and void, waste and desolate, and darkness covered the face of the deep. We do not know how long Lucifer had to brood in that sinister silence of the world's first night. If you like, millions and billions of years this world was without form and void. But in that silence, Lucifer, the frustrated prince, learned his powerlessness, but gained a gnawing hatred against God that made him forever the arch-enemy. God then moved, and by his simple word, in six brief days, reformed and refashioned the earth, creating, creating new life within. Satan got his first terrible mouthful of dust. But when he saw man created, not on a rank above his own, not on a rank equal to that of his principalities, not even on a rank even with his lowest angels, but on a rank, as we read in Psalm 8, 5, a rank a little lower than the angels. He was incensed against God anew and moved to destroy mankind. But he reckoned without God. God had planned Christ. He, Christ, was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as we read in Revelation 13.8. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, we read in the first of Ephesians. Oftentimes people who know my very strong belief in these doctrines, ask me why God chose us. The answer is before us here. Christ, the great prophet, priest, and king himself, was made lower than the angels coming forth from the grave, bringing with himself a great company of sons into glory, as we read in Hebrews 2.9. He did not save us for eternity merely, though we shall be with him there forever. He saved us for the present, for this present battle. 
The statement of it is here in our text. The third chapter of Ephesians tells us of the formation and composition of the church and continues that the object, the purpose, was in order to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. And now watch it closely. Ephesians 3, 9 and 10, the purpose of it. To the intent of it now, unto the principalities and powers in the heavens, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Let us examine certain features of this declaration. God's purpose is a present purpose. It is for something that is today. The instrument of God's purpose is the church. Not the organization, of course, but the organism. The object of the purpose is to manifest his wisdom. The sphere of the manifestation is in the heavens, we are told. And the audience of the manifestation is composed of the principalities and the powers, the angelic hosts. Now for you to fail to see what God has for you to do now, and to remain occupied with earthly lusts and pleasures when God is calling you to a heavenly battle, is as treasonable as if the Royal Air Force had wanted to stay on the ground in 1940 and play with model airplanes instead of going aloft to meet the Luftwaffe. The sphere of our warfare is in the heavenlies. God wants us there to be the instruments of exhibiting his divine wisdom before the forces of Satan. Now, if we analyze the scripture and examine this passage closely, I believe we can find the spiritual significance behind it. How can we manifest the wisdom of God? The answer lies in what we replace. Satan and his hosts began the rebellion with the idea that brightness and beauty and creature wisdom were sufficient to run the universe. They were wonderful. They would take a try at it. God answers through us that he can stoop to instruments far beneath the angels in wisdom, in beauty, in power, and that when these instruments are yielded to him, he can pour himself through them and do what creature power and creature wisdom could never accomplish. Herein lies the secret of frequently misunderstood verse. In the upper room, our Lord announced his departure and with the announcement expressed certain principles which were then to come into effect. He was going to heaven to represent the disciples in the presence of the Father. They would stay on earth and represent him to the world. He would send the Holy Spirit to represent himself within the disciples. With this new arrangement and under the management of the Holy Spirit, the work would be carried on even better than when he was here in person. He said that it was advantageous for them, for such is the real force of the word, advantageous that he should go to the Father. For if this did not happen, the strengthener would not come. So they were to gain by his departure, but he also was to gain. He had work to be done, and he said that it would be better done by his disciples than by himself. Now there's a problem for you, but there it is. Verily, verily, I say to you, he that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Oh, there have been fanatics and cultists who've tried to explain that their miracles duplicated and surpassed the miracles of the Lord, but this is seen to be ridiculous upon any thoughtful examination. The greater works that we are to do are in a different realm altogether. Thank God 
We do not have to look to healings and tongues and physical miracles. Our warfare is on a higher level. Our works are greater works, and they are wrought in heaven and not on earth, though they have their repercussions here. What was the greatest work which Christ did on earth? Cleansing lepers, raising the dead, and we are to do greater. I have not seen or heard of anyone bringing Lazarus back from the dead. And if someone comes to tell me the story of a resurrection done on the corner, I frankly do not believe it. And even if it were true, it could not be compared with Christ's raising of Lazarus, performed on a body which was corrupt and in the sight of the whole town of Bethany. We do no greater works than these physical miracles, simply because there are no greater to be done in that line. Yet the word of God is true, and there are greater works for us to do. Well, once more I ask the question, what was the greatest work which Christ did on earth? Without doubt, Christ's greatest work was to reach into the dead heart of man plant a new life there, bringing a man out of darkness and into light, and from the power of Satan into the power of God. And in this realm, we are to perform. I make bold to say that hundreds of us have performed greater works than the Lord Jesus Christ ever did in this sphere of work, and I shall demonstrate that truth of my seemingly presumptuous statement. The explanation lies in the difference between Christ's perfect nature and my sinful nature. For Christ to reach into the kingdom of Satan and lay hold on a child of Adam, communicate new life to him in such a way that the man shall be enabled to lay hold upon Christ as Savior, is a wonderful thing. Surely this is the greatest work he ever did among men. Now you and I are to do the same thing. When God the Father reached through Christ to men, he had the God-man to work through. When he reaches through us to men, he has the transformed sons of Adam to work through. Christ on earth was all holiness. I on earth am not all holiness. When Christ took a subject of Satan and turned him into an object of grace, and then a subject of Christ, Satan might whine that he could not do anything about it. But a much greater power than himself had come into his realm and stole one of his citizens, and thus he might take comfort even. But when the Lord Jesus reaches down and does it through us, there is indeed a mouthful of dust for Satan. Whenever the Lord is able to use us, it is because he has worked the miracle of life in us, and thus it is greater for him, greater glory, and greater discomfiture for Satan. Now today in this age of grace, we are to manifest to the principalities and powers that God is able to stoop below the level of the angels, and taking men who have fallen, lift them to the throne of heaven, unlock the storehouse of grace, equip them with divine power, enable them to speak the word of life, which will bring life to others. We must have first the life of God. When we have been made partakers of the divine nature, we're able to hold forth the word of life and bring others out of darkness and into light. Then we shall know the droplets of his blessings. But hundreds of you would confess that you have the life of God, yet have never been used to win a soul. Well, what then do we lack? We must have, second, a yieldedness to God and a willingness to be emptied of self and filled with him. Then we shall know the showers of his blessing. But are we to be taught in the power of the Holy Spirit and borne along by his mighty winds? Then we must first be taken into heaven where the winds originate, and we shall know the torrents of his blessing. And when this happens, it will be seen in the higher heavens that some have come through to the source of power and are even now to the praise of his glory. It shall be seen in the lower heavens that God works not by might nor by power, but by his Holy Spirit, 
taking men from beneath the angels to the throne of God and leaving dust for the devil as we go back and forth. And on earth shall be seen triumph and men shall take knowledge that we have been with Jesus Christ. Dust for Satan today, while tomorrow the scoffers round about us who laugh at us and those who choose the mess of pottage rather than the birthright of sonship shall be brought forcibly to acknowledge the word of Christ, bowing before our feet and in our presence. And we pray thee, our God and Father, that we may comprehend the great spiritual blessings that are ours, and that we may thank thee for the wonderful position thou hast given us, to be made accepted in the beloved, to be given a position no less than thy throne. What love is this? Bless each listening heart, we pray thee. In Jesus' name, amen. By faith, we must lay hold of all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. We glorify God when we allow Him to work through us to build His church and advance His kingdom. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, All Spiritual Blessings. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse anytime, anywhere around the globe via the Internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free, 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, All Spiritual Blessings, or simply request message number R6-16. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, How the Holy Spirit Relates to You. For many Christians, the Holy Spirit remains the most mysterious and misunderstood member of the Trinity. Controversial and contradictory teachings about His person and work further cloud the issue. This free booklet cuts through the confusion with clear biblical truth. You will take a significant leap towards spiritual maturity when you understand who the Holy Spirit is and how He works in the life of a believer. Ask for your free copy of How the Holy Spirit Relates to You when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.